0: The teams you care
1: about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact.
0: The stories that matter to you.
1: Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home
0: for New England sports.
1: I'm just wondering what happens next for UVM. Because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the
0: Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and wdevradio.com
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and wdevradio.com Full show, all 90 minutes, right up until 7 o'clock. Tons to get to, as always. Very, very excited in 15 minutes. We're going to talk to a guy I've never spoken to before. Former Patriots running back, three-time Super Bowl champion, LeGarrette Blunt. Is going to stop by, so we're going to talk to Garrett Blunt at 5:45. We're going to discuss the pressure on Ime Udoka in these NBA playoffs, the pressure on Jason Tatum in the playoffs, what's real and what's fake in that regard, and we'll talk more about Rafael Devers. As well. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Also, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account as well. We'll take your comments anywhere you want to bring them in. So we go up until seven. Let's waste no time and get right to it.
2: Five, four, three,
1: two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Your, They are your most complete locally owned home center here in the state of Vermont. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Your Boston Red Sox are now caught between a rock and a hard place. They are caught between doing what is technically smart business... But what is also the wrong way of doing business? Let's examine the report that came out yesterday, late last night, on the Red Sox and their negotiations with Xander Bogarts. We've talked a lot about Devers. We're going to talk more about Devers later. Let's talk about Bogarts. So John Heyman of the, NFL, of the Major League Baseball Network, he came out and said the Red Sox offered Bogarts this spring a four-year million extension. And Bogart's camp basically laughed in their face and said that this was a non-starter and it's not even worth countering at this point. Now, I will say this. We don't know right now if this report from John Heyman is true. Heyman has reported it, but there's been a lot of skepticism around this report from Red Sox insiders like Jared Karabas of DraftKings, Lou Merloney of WEEI in Boston, so I don't know if it's true officially, but let's just kind of play out the scenario and operate the assumption that it is true. And if it is true, the Red Sox are, again, in that really difficult space, operating between what is good business and what is the wrong way of doing business. So refresh your memory here. Xander Bogarts currently, right now, has three years and $60 million left on his contract after this year. Not including this year. Three years, $60 million left. Now, we expect him to opt out. But if he didn't, in a hypothetical world, he'd have three years, $60 million. So this four-year, $90 million extension really is just the three years that he has left plus one more and an additional $30 million. So basically, they're telling you, like, hey, if you're not going to opt in, we're just going to give you the exact same deal you would have had, but we'll tack on one year at $30 million. So that's where the four-year $90 million deal comes from. The three years and 60 he had left, plus one year and $30 million. And from the Red Sox perspective, they're thinking here, it really is smart business, is it not? Think about all the layers to this. Xander Bogarts is going to be 30 years old. We know it's not really smart to pay guys huge money into their late 30s and 40s, so I get the Red Sox not wanting to give an eight-year deal, not wanting to give a 10-year deal. If they give Bogarts a four-year deal, well, what are they, they are ensuring a bunch of different things. They're ensuring that they get the absolute best remaining years of his career, so they don't have to pay him till he's 35, 40. We know that Bogarts is not a great defensive shortstop, so they don't have to run him out there at 37 because he's got too much pride to move off the position. Maybe they can, you know, deal with it until he's 34 or so. We know that they have an in-house option in Trevor Story, so they don't have to go exorbitantly long or exorbitantly expensive because they could We'll just give the position to Story. We know they got youngsters down on the farm, Jeter Downs. We know they got Marcelo Mayer coming up. And if you don't keep Bogart, if you keep Bogarts for just four years, well, you haven't blocked any of them from coming to the big leagues. So this all might just be smart thinking by the Red Sox. Right? We're not going to pay a guy until he's 40. We're going to save some money so that we can pay Devers and sign some others. We hope by not going 200, 300 million dollars for Bogarts. We don't have a shortstop who's 37 and can't move. We haven't blocked the kids. We've kept the door open for story. Now, I'd quibble and say that Bogarts, even in a four-year deal, would deserve like $120 million. I mean, Alex Speer of the Boston Globe had a really good note where he said that Bogarts' numbers the last three years dwarf every other offensive player who's gotten a $100 million contract. So I still think that $90 million is too low. So I can quibble about the number, but... I can reconcile the thought process, right? I mean, giving him a four-year deal in a lot of ways is smart business practice. I don't have an aging asset. I don't get the depreciating asset. I don't tie up a bunch of money in an aging asset. I don't block the young kids. It's smart business. But that said, what the Red Sox are allegedly doing here just also may be the wrong way of doing business. Xander Bogarts is a pillar of the organization. He's been in the organization for nearly half his life. Xander Bogarts has been in the organization since he was 16 years old. And I know it's not show friends, it's show business, but that degree of loyalty, that amount of longevity, usually deserves a higher contract than what the Red Sox are offering right now. He's won two World Series. He's been a stalwart in your lineup. He's very, very durable. He's a fan favorite. And when a guy has battled for you and won with you and represented your organization with dignity and with class, that guy deserves to be taken care of and deserves to be not lowballed. So, yes, the process by the Red Sox is smart, but it is bad business. Xander Bogart's deserves better than this. He deserves more commitment than this in terms of years, and he deserves more money than this. I mean, a four year ninety million dollar deal is insulting in a world where thirty two year old Marcus Semyon gets seven for one hundred seventy five. A four year, $90 million extension is insulting in a world where Javi Baez gets six for 140. It's insulting in a world where Jose Ramirez gets a five for 125 extension. It's low on years. It's low on average annual salary. It's low across the board. And Xander Bogarts deserves better. I know the Red Sox don't want to be stuck with a guy until he's 38. I get it. I do. I know you want to keep some money available for Devers or somebody else. But Bogarts deserves better than this. If it's true, it is an insultingly low offer. He deserves, at minimum, the 5 for 125 that Jose Ramirez got. That's at minimum. You don't want to go 10 for 300 with him? Then sure. But... The six for one forty that Trevor Story got, Xander Bogarts is worth that in my mind. The deal that that Semien got seven for one seventy five if we started it today and counted this year for it, then I would say that that would be useful as well, like that would be fair as well, taking him until he's thirty six not thirty nine i I can reconcile the thought the thought process, and if this were Nathan Ivaldi. A guy who is not a homegrown Red Sox player, a guy who is not a total fan favorite, a guy who hasn't been in the, in the family since he was 16. Then I could say, you know what? You want to offer Evaldi a little lower than he probably deserves because you don't want to have a pitcher until he's 37. I can handle that. But Xander Bogarts, he deserves a better contract offer in four years, 90 million. And for me, The Red Sox need to figure out exactly what they want. Because right now, they're partially dipping their foot in each pool, and they're not all the way in the deep end. They've got to figure out where they want to go into the deep end. If they want Bogarts and they're content to let Devers leave, then they need to make an offer commiserate with Bogarts' ability. If if they're choosing Bogarts over Devers, then go all in on Bogarts. If you're if you're choosing Devers over Bogarts, then go all in on Devers and don't even make Bogarts this insultingly low offer that you know he's going to turn down. And if you truly are trying to sign both, then be the Boston Red Sox of old and flex the financial muscle and get the deal done. What do you want to be? Who are you prioritizing? Because right now, you've insulted Devers' camp with a low offer, and you've insulted Bogart's camp with a low offer. You certainly didn't think that they were going to take these offers, I'd have to imagine. So, if you really want one of them, then go all in. And if you really want both of them, then go all, all the way in. But you can't dip your toes in both ends, in, in both sides of the pool and never get in. You've got to eventually get in the pool. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. If you told me I had to choose one, then I would choose Devers. He's better long-term. He's younger. He projects to be better. He's a power hitter in a power-hitting game. If you gave me just one, I would choose Devers. But Bogarts, if you're going to make him a contract offer, it's got to be better than this. Four years, $90 million is insulting. It's insultingly low. In a world where Marcus Semyon's going to be signed until he's 39, you won't give some, uh, Bogart something beyond the age of 34. It's insultingly low on years. It's insultingly low on average annual value. Four years, $90 million, that's certainly not chump change. But what is that now? That is... Like $22.5 million a year. In a world where Corey Seager gets $35 million a year, it's insultingly low there, too. Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Um, someone says, I wonder if people are going to accuse the Red Sox of being racist because they are giving more money to Bogarts Erbora. Or- they're giving more money to Story than they would to Bogarts. I, I I, hadn't heard that. I haven't seen that. I don't think that that's going to be the case, but, yeah, I suppose somebody could say it, but I have not heard this. Um, Anthony says, are they doing this to have more money for Devers? Well, there you go. It's the same. I mean, yeah, that's what I just said. you got to figure out exactly who you want. You've got to figure out exactly who you want. You cannot lose both. If you want to be a World Series contender, you cannot lose both. Because, look, the Red Sox are going to lose, I imagine, J.D. Martinez. So he's going to be gone. So that productivity is going to be gone. Kike Hernandez is a free agent at the end of the year. He might be gone. Jackie Bradley is a free agent at the end of the year. He He might be gone, and I would be fine with that. But you are going to have some money available here, but you're also going to lose a lot of pieces. So you can't afford to lose both of these guys. Go all in on somebody and give them the offer that they deserve. All right, when we come back, an interview that I'm very, very excited about. I've never spoken to him. LeGarrette Blunt is going to stop by. Former Patriots running back, three-time Super Bowl champion. Which Patriots Super Bowl memory stands out more to him? Malcolm Butler's pick or the 28-3 comeback over the Falcons. I want to ask him. i got all kinds of questions for the Gator Blunt. He's with us next on WDEV.
0: Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back with Brady Parker's show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
1: Welcome back in Brady Farkas show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. We are your home for Patriots football, and even in the off season, Patriots football never sleeps. Let's go out to the phone line and bring on our next guest, a guy who was a pretty prominent part of multiple Patriots championship teams. Former running back Legarrette Blunt. Legarrette, thanks for being with us. How are you?
2: I'm good, man. How about yourself, man? I appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Well, I appreciate you being with us. Look, parts of nine seasons in the NFL, including parts of four seasons with the Patriots. You won three Super Bowls overall, two with New England, one against New England, and that one we like to forget about when you played with the Eagles. But you retired officially at the end of 2020. What are you up to now? I know you're doing some work for player health, kind of advocating for player health and, and trying to find new ways to keep players uh, safe and healthy. What are you up to now?
2: Um, yeah, that's 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 you hit it on the head, man. I'm just trying to do I'm just trying to figure out ways to keep guys um healthy, um, from the inside out. You know, my products are, are all natural, all organic and one hundred percent THC free. So I'm just trying to make sure guys know that this product is out there and it's a healthier way to deal with, with uh pain and discomfort and, you know, bad sleep patterns and Anxiety, You know, we, we I have products for all of those things.
1: Well, you're working in the CBD space. And how important would it be to get your products into NFL locker rooms? Because we've heard the horror stories over the last couple of years about drug dependencies that players develop, the things players do to be able to play. How important would it be to get your products involved and, and get away from some of those things that, that shouldn't have never been happening in the first place?
2: Um, I think it's really important because Again, you know, um, a lot of these things that guys are dealing with or a lot of the problems that these guys are having is, you know, they're, they're, they're having problems with, you know, sleeping and anxiety and, um, you know, things like that. So I think this is the healthy way to deal with it, you know, outside of the opioids. You know, a lot of the pills that, that they give us to take, um, you know, for anxiety, for sleep, for pain, you um, you know, these are p- pretty powerful pills. So you know, they're obviously they're going to be um, highly addicting to some. Um, especially people with that addictive personality is going to be, you know, it's going to be easy for them to not put the pill down after they start taking it. And I and I just wanted to make sure that that these guys do that this was a better option. This is a healthier option. This has no long ter- long term effects. You know, five ten years down the road, you won't be worrying about having liver and kidney problems and you know things like that because of taking so many pills
1: well garrett blunt former patriots running back his website is lgsfeelgood.com and he's there to help athletes with aches pains injuries mental health and those unhealthy sleep patterns and he's here with us on the brady Farkas show and wdev let's go to your career you know we hear so much about playing for the patriots and how it's no fun and all that what was your experience like in New England,
2: my experience was—I loved it. You know, I, I had a blast in New England. I, uh, I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna lie. You know, a lot of guys don't enjoy it there because, I mean, I don't know if it's you know the the, the work ethic or, or you know how how hard you work or the fact that you have to go out there and bring your lunch pail to practice every day or you know what, whatever the case is. But my personal experience there, man, I loved it. There was, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. One big thing for me was just winning football. You know, I just wanted to win football games. And, you know, there was no better place to win football games than than New England while I was playing at the time. So I didn't mind the hard work. I didn't mind the grind. I didn't mind, you know, going through the going through the rigorous, you know, training camp and things like that. So I enjoyed it, you know. there's guys that obviously say, you know, this place is uptight, man. You can't be yourself, and yada yada yada. Well, if being yourself, you know, entails just being, you know, on social media, TikTok, and all that stuff, well, I mean, that yeah, this ain't this ain't gonna be the place for you. You know what I'm saying? Because it's business here. You know, we they trying to win football games.
1: You know, after the Eagles, your Eagles, beat the Patriots, it was Lane Johnson who came out and said basically our way of doing things is the better way and we had a lot of fun while winning. So obviously, look, there's more than one way to win in the NFL. What was the difference between that Eagles team and the culture that they played with versus your time in New England? How different was it?
2: It was extremely different, you know what I'm saying? But, it is, I mean, that just goes to show you that you can can get to the same goal, you know, you can have the same goal and get to it in different ways. You know, in and, and Philly, it was more relaxed. It was more laid back. You could be on your phone. You could be on social media. You could, you know, clown and joke, you know, with the coaches. It, like, it, you know, and, 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 and granted, you can do that in New England too, but you definitely got to know um, that there's a fine line in between it. So you got to straddle that whenever, you know, whenever you're doing certain things or, or saying certain things or, you know, around certain people. So I think it was the fun aspect in, in Philly that was really – really attractive attractive to a lot of guys that made them like oh damn they had fun while they was playing and winning championships you know and and granted we did we had a blast but that's just another way around getting to the common goal and that's winning a championship have you been
1: watching a lot of patriots games since you since you left football have you kind of disconnected oh yeah
2: oh yeah oh yeah nah i I watch you know i watch religiously i'll never you know completely get away from the game you know, I coach it with my son and I and I watch it. So,
1: now, what do you think of the loss of Josh McDaniels and how big is that for a young quarterback like Mac Jones as he heads into year two? Oh, uh, man, that's
2: huge. Josh is, when it comes to offensive coordinators, Josh is, uh, I, I feel like Josh is second to none. You know, you could, you know, he's been in the last couple of years since Brady left, he's been in a position to where he's having the, try to switch things up offensively to fit the mold of whatever quarterback that he has, whether it's Cam or Mac Jones. And I think he does a really good job of that. You know, I think that he I think he did a really good job of implementing some things for Cam when Cam was there. I think he did a, a lot of good things implementing some things for Mac since Mac has been there. You know, I, I think it'll be hard for any, any quarterback that has had Josh as offensive coordinator to go be with someone else because it just it won't be the same.
1: Former Patriots running back and three-time Super Bowl champion LeGarrette Blunt with us here on the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. On that note, it looks like the Patriots are going to go offensive coordinator lists this year. And they're going to have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge kind of tag team the offense, uh, you know, working with the offense. Those are two guys that we don't associate as being offensive minds. You as a player, how would you feel about an offense that's set up that way with no true
2: coordinator? Uh, I'm gonna say that uh, one thing about Bill. One thing that he did do is if you're gonna be an offensive coach, you're gonna learn. If you're gonna be an offensive coach, you're gonna learn the, the, the ins and outs of defense first. You're gonna know how to read them. You're gonna know how to do. You know, and I think Matty Pete might have been an offensive coach at one point before he switched yeah. to defense. I think Josh might have been a defensive coach at once before he became a coordinator. These guys are, you know. They're pretty well-dressed when it comes to just coaching in general. Um, Obviously, Josh is a better offensive coordinator than he was a defensive coach. Obviously, Matty P is a better defensive coach than he is an offensive coach. And Joe Judge, uh, no comment. I don't even know how he got on the offensive side of the ball to even be co-coaching any kind of... I don't know, man. Honestly, I don't know what's going on over there.
1: Yeah, we don't know what's going on either.
2: (laughs) Bill... Bill must have something up his sleeve because, uh, yeah, it, it just doesn't sound like it sounds like a recipe for a disaster. To be honest with you, with Matty P and, jo- and Joe Judge calling the offense, it just don't sound like a good idea.
1: Well, we'll get you out of here on two questions, uh, two quick ones. Which Patriots
2: tell them page... tell, tell them to come hire me? I'll call the plays.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of fans would be okay with that as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, I will call the plays. I'm, I'm a, Damian Harris gonna have a Pro Bowl of years. <laughs>
1: Hey, which Patriots Super Bowl win stands out for you more? The, the the Malcolm Butler pick at the goal line against Seattle or the 28-3 to comeback against Atlanta?
2: I'm going to say the Malcolm, Malcolm Butler pick on the goal line. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you're talking about a dream. You're talking about like a dream type ending. That's That's the one.
1: We know a lot of the recognizable leaders in that Patriots locker room. Who was one of your favorite teammates that maybe we don't hear a lot about?
2: Man, um, I'm gonna have to say one of my favorite teammates that we don't hear that we don't hear about while I was there. Probably Matthew Slater. Hmm. Man, Slater, good dude. Man, he' funny guy, um, down to earth, get his business done, have, he, he take care of everything on and off the so field. He's a good dude, man. And I haven't met anybody that don't like him. You know, again, he's a positive guy, and, and you know he. Obviously, he's just a special teamer. He doesn't get a lot of recognition. I mean, obviously, he, he goes to a lot of Pro Bowls, that's for sure. But he doesn't get a lot of recognition because he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. I want to say he only has one touchdown in his 14-year career or something like that. I don't know how long he's been playing. But um, he only has one touchdown, and he's multiple, multiple, multiple Pro Bowls. Um, definitely think he should go down in, in, in the Hall of Fame. He's one of those special teams guys that should, that should definitely go get into the Hall of Fame.
1: Well, we hope so as well. LeGarrette Blunt, former Patriots running back, nine-year NFL career, two different stints with the Pats, parts of four seasons in New England, won two Super Bowls here, one in Philly, and now his mission is to get his products, LG's Feel Good, into every pro sports locker room, safe, effective, and helping to mitigate your pain. So, LeGarrette, we appreciate it. Good luck with the new business ventures, and we look forward to catching up in the future.
2: I appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Absolutely. Appreciate LeGarrette Blunt coming on as well again he's got his new his uh his new cbd products he's trying to you know and look applause to him right i know it's a business venture but applause to him for trying to get the opioids and painkillers out of the game and yeah cbd if if he's figured out a way to do it safe and effectively then i'm all for looking at things that get players away from opioids and painkillers so lgs feel good that is his brand there great stuff i mean i'm on, on the football stuff A ton for us to react to. We're so heavy in the show today with Red Sox, and we got Red Sox baseball tomorrow, that I think we're going to have kind of a half show. We may have to wait to fully react to what LeGarrette Blunt had to say until Monday. But ding, 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 isn't that what I've been saying about the Patriots' offensive coordinator strategy, that they need a full-time offensive coordinator and somebody who can bring some innovation. LeGarrette Blunt, I believe his exact words were, no comment on Joe Judge. I don't know how he got there on the offensive side of the ball. Now, he did say that Belichick will coach guys up to, you know, to, to be competent on a certain side of the ball. I mean, so that should make you feel good to a degree, but he said, no comment on Joe Judge, so we got a lot to react to from LeGarrette Blunt. We'll do it either tomorrow or Monday. Peter and Williston on the text line. LeGarrette Blunt said exactly what I've been saying, too, except with greater clarity and precision. Patriots offense is in trouble with Patricia and Judge calling plays. Great interview. Phil in Middlesex says, Brady, great interview with Legarrett Blunt, A real tough running back with speed. Again, that was Phil in Middlesex. Thanks to everybody for the compliments on that. We'll take more of your input on LeGarrette Blunt, and then we'll come back. How much pressure is on Ime Udoka, the Celtics head coach? We head to the playoffs. That's next on DEV.
0: Back with Brady Parker's show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
1: Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Garrett Blunt, former Patriots running back with us here, who was just with us a couple of minutes ago. Full interview already available on our podcast channel, on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Good stuff, too, about culture and the culture in Philly. Yeah, remember the Lane Johnson comments after that Super Bowl? And I was there, not at the game, but that Super Bowl week in Minneapolis. And all we could talk about after I returned, in addition to the Patriots' loss, was... Lane Johnson's comments on how the Patriots have no fun. And LeGarrette Blunt was like, look, man, it was very different in Philly. You certainly could act differently because, look, I loved both places. I loved being in Philly when we won, and I loved being in New England when we won. You can win in more than one way. There is not just one culture that is the right culture. He said, look, New England is not for everybody, but it was for me. I was not immune to the hard work. So I thought LeGarrette Blunt was awesome, and I uh, appreciate him. Coming on. Celtics are getting ready for the Brooklyn Nets on Sunday. Game one is 330. And I gotta say, I don't think there's any pressure at all on Celtics head coach Ime Udoka in this series or in these playoffs. I do think there's a ton of pressure on Jason Tatum, but I don't think there's any pressure on Ime Udoka. Let's start with Udoka. Chris Mannix of NBC Sports Boston, he agrees with me. He doesn't see a lot of pressure at all on Udoka either. I think there's pressure on him. not necessarily as far as it goes up against Steve Nash in terms of matching wits uh, with Nash, but it is pressure to kind of continue what the Celtics have done over the last three months of the season, you look at the numbers since January 1st. They are the best defensive team by a country mile when it comes to a lot of these efficiency statistics. Ime's job is going to make sure that without Robert Williams in the lineup, they can maintain that same level of defensive consistency. Do you think there's pressure on Ime Udoka in this series, in these playoffs? 802, 585, 3026. Because I don't. I don't think there's pressure on him to outcoach Steve Nash. I don't think there's pressure on him at all, really. Like, of course. I'm not stupid or naive, at least most of the time. I know there are expectations on this Celtics team. I know the Celtics want to win. But you are playing the Brooklyn Nets. You are playing the Brooklyn Nets almost at full strength. The Nets were a lot of people's Eastern Conference champions before the season. And I see people like Chris Broussard of Fox Sports 1 picking the Brooklyn Nets now to win the Eastern Conference. So... The, the Celtics are not the Vegas underdogs, but they are the underdogs to a lot of people. I think that Ime Odoka has a bit of an out here. I think he has a bit of a pass here. People are smart enough to recognize how weird this season is from a seeding perspective. If this were a normal year and they're taking on, you know, Charlotte, who is, you know, right around 500, and they, then there would be pressure. You can't lose to that team as a seven seed. But if you are taking on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and a team that a lot of people picked at the beginning of the year to go to the NBA Finals, if you're taking on that team, I think there are a lot of people who are flat out just expecting you to lose. If Ime Udoka loses this series or wins this series but then loses in the next one, I think he's got kind of a free pass here. Now, if you think I'm wrong, let me know, but that's how I see it. If he loses to Brooklyn, I'm going to chalk it up and say, damn, Celtics got unlucky. They got unlucky that they had to take on Kyrie and Durant in the first round, and in a normal year, that wouldn't have happened. So if they lose in the first round, that's how I'm going to look at it. If they beat the Nets and then go on and lose, I'm going to say, you know what? They beat Kyrie and Durant in the first round. That's pretty darn good for a first-year first head coach. Okay. They, they've kind of they've accomplished something. So I don't see myself looking down upon the job that Ime Odoka has done, really no matter what happens. You cannot get swept by Brooklyn. You probably can't get gentlemen swept by Brooklyn. I guess my your immunity from criticism, to me at least, begins if you lose in six or seven to Brooklyn. If you lost in six or seven, though, is anybody really surprised? Would anybody really be surprised? I see myself giving Ime Odoka a pass on a lot of stuff in these playoffs. Frankly, I think Steve Nash is under way more pressure than Ime Odoka. He was the better player, so he's got the better name recognition in the first place. He was the guy with no coaching experience heading into his head coaching job with the Nets. He's the guy who dealt with the locker room turmoil behind the scenes this year with the trade of James Harden, the acquisition of Ben Simmons, He's been under the microscope all year for those moves and the Kyrie vaccine stuff. And the Nets with a team with all the expectations. So all of that factors in. All of the coaching pressure for me, at least from the outside, is on Nash. And I don't even think that it's close. He's got Durant. He's got Kyrie. He's got the, you know, the more accelerated timeline given those guys' age and now some injury history with them as well. I mean, Kyrie's 30, Durant's past 30. The 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 window is not open forever for the Nets, and it's not open forever for Nash with this team. That's an aging roster in a lot of ways, and an injury-riddled roster at times as well. Steve Nash is the guy with the pressure. Ime Udoka is the guy who's got the the generally young roster, who you could see being right back here again next year. Tatum under 25, Brown, I think 25. Smart, under 30. Peyton Pritchard, young. Aaron rock young. Robert Williams, young. I mean, the Celtics are a relatively young team. They have older components in Tyson Horford, but generally, they're pretty young. Steve Nash is the guy with the pressure. As far as Emei Udoka goes, I really think the biggest pressure for him comes internally. Because... Every coach in the NBA, in the modern NBA, now is under pressure to keep their star players happy. And if you are the Celtics and you lose to Brooklyn or you falter at some point in these playoffs, you just always run the risk of your stars being unhappy. So I think the the internal pressure of trying to do enough to satisfy your young core that is far greater to me than outside pressure that Ime Udoka might be under. Because for me, again, I'm going to give him a pass on a lot of stuff. You lose to Brooklyn in the first round, I throw my hands up and say, "Damn, that was an unlucky matchup." You beat Brooklyn, but lose to you know you lose in the second round. I'm like, okay, well, hey, they beat they beat Brooklyn, they beat Durant and Kyrie, they did an awful lot. They won 50 games, they beat they they knocked out Durant and Kyrie. That's pretty good. I don't see myself really getting on Eme Odoka unless they get swept or lose in five to Brooklyn. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. If Robert Williams was 100%, I'd feel certain that the, that the uh, Celtics were going to win. He is going to play. There is a rumor that he's going to play at the end of the series. We don't know that to be true. Says that I also see the Celtics advancing past Brooklyn. Udoka is going to outcoach Nash in crucial moments late in games. That comes on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. For me, no pressure on Udoka. But I do see pressure on Jason Tatum. Tim Legler of ESPN, he also does too. Biggest moment of his career. Biggest stage of his career. You want to seat at the table? You want to seat at that table with those guys we talk about all the time? This is it. You've got to go out there. You don't have to be better than Kevin Durant every single night. That's not going to happen. Kevin Durant's too good. But you have to match him in this series. If we're continually talking about Kevin Durant
0: Throughout this series and how great he is, that's a problem for Boston. We need to be talking
1: about Jason Tatum after these games. Uh, That I agree with wholeheartedly. While I don't think there's any pressure outside on Ime Udoka, I think there's a lot of pressure on Jason Tatum. If Tatum wants to be recognized in the light that he wants to be recognized in, he has to have a great series. We do have to be looking at him at times, several times in this series, and saying that's the best guy on the floor. Because right now, instinct tells me that Durant is the better player, and we're going to be looking at that floor in all of these games saying Brooklyn's got the best player. That's what my instinct tells me. If Tatum wants to move into top seven, top five territory, we need to be looking at him and saying, you know what? Celtics got the best player on the floor right now. Legler's right. We won't say that every minute of the, of the series. But if we're saying it for good portions of the series or for long stretches of the series, then that's going to bode well for Tatum. I know he wants to be seen in a top five light. He's irked he didn't get all NBA last year and get his $30 million. He's irked by how people have voted for him in the past for things. He wants the respect. He wants to be in that conversation. He needs to be a guy who can answer Durant's shots. He needs to be a guy who can finish in the fourth quarter when the Celtics have a lead. He needs to be able to go to the hoop. He needs to be able to hit from outside. He needs to not settle. It's a balancing act between getting his but also keeping the team involved. But if Tatum, when the Celtics need a response, Tatum has to be a guy that they can go to and that they can count on. And Tatum has to be capable of giving that response. The pressure is on him. Durant, LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, Kyrie, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Damian Lillard. We know that these are guys who can create and we know that these are guys that can answer. Luka Doncic has shown that in his career as well. If you want to see Tatum in that conversation with those great players, then James Harden, you've got Chris Paul, You've got to be able to be big in the big moments. This is a huge coming out party for Jason Tatum. This is not Tatum is the young guy behind Isaiah Thomas. This is not Tatum is the young guy behind Kyrie Irving or with Gordon Hayward or, uh, you know, Jalen Brown is out and now it's only Tatum. This isn't that. This is Tatum with Brown a bunch of other good pieces around them, an elite defensive team that that can really accomplish something. Tatum needs to be the focal point of it. He needs to be the center of it. If he he wants to be seen in the light that he wants to be seen in, then we've got to be looking at him a lot in this series and saying, you know what, the Celtics have the best player on the floor right now. No pressure on Udoka, good amount of pressure in my mind on Jason Tatum. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones? Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down
0: on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work they really said that every damn thing is politics and race and i'm losing my mind over it it's time for who's saying what on the brady farkas show on wdeb am fm and wdeb radio.com
1: who's saying what is brought to you by vermont laser wash that's central vermont's home of unlimited car washes unlimited car washes the package begins at just twenty dollars a month if you want just one free car wash well Just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So I'm sure by now you have heard this story and have seen this controversy. Clayton Kershaw was pitching last night, or yesterday afternoon rather, for the Dodgers. They were in Minnesota taking on the Twins. And Clayton Kershaw had a perfect game through seven innings. And in having that perfect game through seven innings, he threw just 80 pitches. And his manager Dave Roberts pulled him from the game with a chance to go for the perfect game, and people on social media reacted, especially as or reacted exactly rather like you think that they would. Baseball can't get out of its own way. How'd you not let him go for the perfect game? They need to make baseball players like they used to. These guys are soft. Seaver and Nolan Ryan and Koufax—they never would have come out of the game. The front office and the analytics, they're ruining the game. There's only been 23 perfect games in history. He could have made more history. Come on, let him go for it. That's what all of social media was saying. That's what people in my inner circle were saying about Clayton Kershaw getting taken out. Here's what Kershaw himself said about not being allowed to go for history. Yeah, it's hard, you know. I feel bad for uh for Barnesy. You know, Barnesy did such a great job and it's fun to get to catch one of those and so I, I wanted to do it with Barnesy, you know, um it'd be special and but at the end of the day, those are those are individual things. Those are those are selfish goals and we're trying to win, you know, and um, that's that's really all we're here for. And as much as I would have wanted to do it, I've i thrown seventy five pitches in a sim game, you know, and I hadn't gone six innings, let alone seven and um, Sure, I would have loved to have do it, but, um, you know, maybe we get another chance. Who knows? Can we put the pitchforks away now, please? Can we stop ripping managers and front offices and analytics? You just heard Kershaw say that he's okay with it. If he's okay with it, then can't you be okay with it? Yes, I'm sure baseball was better Back in the day, there are certainly parts of it that I agree with were better back in the day. There's lots of examples to prove that in my mind, but this, this isn't one of them. If Kershaw's fine with coming out, then I am fine with him coming out. At this point in Clayton Kershaw's career, I have to think that staying healthy and being able to contribute to a World Series winning roster, that is the most important thing to him. Clayton Kershaw is 34 years old. Clayton Kershaw has a gazillion innings on that arm and on that body. He has not made 30 starts in a season since 2015. It's been a long time. He's been broken down back, shoulder, might have had an elbow in there too. Kershaw has been hurt a lot over the last couple of years I don't need, if he's telling, he said, look, all I've done is throw 75 pitches in a simulated game, basically a glorified bullpen session. So he was already at 80 real pitches. If he is saying, all I've done is throw 75 pitches in a glorified bullpen, I don't need to run him out there for 110 in his first start of the year to, trace a, to chase a perfect game and risk him going on the shelf this early yet again. If this were June 1st and Clayton Kershaw were 12 starts into his season, then I would be in the same camp as all of you. I would say that baseball was soft and that Dave Roberts made the wrong choice. But in this case, I think Dave Roberts made the exact choice he should have made. He was protecting his player. Clayton Kershaw wants to win the World Series. He wants to be here for the entirety of the season. And his first start in April in Minnesota where it's freezing and windy is not worth jeopardizing all of that. It is not worth jeopardizing all of that. I know the pitchers pitchers aren't handled the way they were in the past. I know that it's not as fun to watch as it once was. But in this case, it was the right choice. Kershaw has won multiple Cy Youngs. He's thrown a no-hitter before. He's done a bunch of the great individual things. And while he also has won a World Series, I think that winning a second one is more important to him. And I think being on the field as his team chases that second World Series is more important to him. And did you see Yu Darvish recently? Yu Darvish to the Padres. On opening day, I was watching this. He was playing the Diamondbacks. He threw six no-hit innings. And the Padres let him throw all six innings. And he threw 92 pitches, I believe, on opening day. And I was thinking to myself, oh boy, 92 pitches on opening day? Like, this guy probably hasn't thrown more than four innings in his spring training start. And here he is throwing 92 pitches. I'm thinking to myself, is that healthy? Well, you, Darvish, I can't say that he's unhealthy, but his next start out... He gave up nine runs in an inning and two-thirds. Maybe they're correlated, maybe they're not. But maybe he stretched himself so far on opening day with the no-hitter that it really did cause a lingering effect his next time out where he got absolutely killed by the San Francisco Giants. Just not worth it. Perfection is great. History is great. Nothing is more important than Clayton Kershaw's health And his goals, and his goals are to be there for the entirety of the season for his team. I really liked what Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports Radio had to say about this on Twitter, and he put it very succinctly. He said, The health and well being of the athlete and his future, believe it or not, is more important than your enjoyment of his talent or the history of the game. I could not have said it better myself. Clayton Kershaw, arm and back problems, hasn't made 30 starts since 2015. He wants to try to be the workhorse that he once was. And burning him out on April 13th just so he can go for a no-hitter. He's not prepared physically to go for it yet. That's not the way to help him accomplish what he wants. If he's fine with it, then I'm fine with it. And if he's fine with it, then you should be fine with it. Because everybody on Twitter was, baseball stinks, this wouldn't have happened in 73, this wouldn't have happened in 84, and that's fine. But it is 2022, and this particular player, in that weather, in this early in the season, in his first start, wasn't ready to go for it. June 1st, I'd be with you. I'd be raising the pitchforks also, yelling at the moon about the glory days. But... It's April 13th yesterday. It was not the time for Clayton Kershaw to go for it. Uh, text in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Maybe the Dodgers learned something years after they helped ruin Josh Beckett's career when he was allowed to complete 128-pitch no-hitter versus the Phillies in 2014. I don't I, I don't remember all of that specifically. I, again, a guy throwing 128 pitches when it's 88 degrees on July 5th, That doesn't really bother me when a guy is built for it. But Clayton Kershaw right now is not built for it. Uh, Let's check in on social media. The bonuses are a lot different than back in the day. Players' contracts are set up so they make more money further in the playoffs they go. So he's saying basically, you know, that, what, I think that Kershaw is, I don't know if he's talking about Kershaw or Tatum at this point. We're talking about both, but, I would say that Clayton Kershaw is doing well in the money department no matter what. He doesn't need any kind of uh, financial incentive to have thrown a perfect game. I think he'd rather, yeah, win the World Series. So, um, final score of that game ended up, by the way, let me see, was it two to nothing? Let's, guys, can we get the uh, verification on that? Let's see. The final score of that game was. Uh, oh, seven nothing. It was two to nothing at one point, but it ended up seven to nothing. The twins got one hit in that one. So yeah, seven nothing. And that game was in Minneapolis, as I said. Yeah. And I, trust me, as a Mariners fan, you know this. I watched the Mariners and twins their first three games, you know, 48 and windy. That's not the spot to be sending Clayton Kershaw out there for. So all right. We'll step aside. We'll come back. And then when we come back, We've been focusing so much on the Rafael Devers contract situation from the Red Sox side. Let's look at it a little bit differently. What would it take for Rafael Devers to actually warrant a $350 million contract? Some of you don't want to give it to him. The Red Sox right now don't want to give him that much money. They've offered over $200 million. What would it take? for Rafael Devers to be worth $350 million. I've got my thoughts. We'll take yours as well. That's next on WDEV.
0: Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back the Brady Parker's show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
1: Again, Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school, where they're online at ProDriverCDL.com. Again, that's ProDriverCDL.com. They can help you on your Class A CDL, your Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training as well, facilities in Enosburg and Milton. That could be the next best step in your career. So, again, ProDriverCDL.com. What would it take for Rafael Devers to actually be worth three hundred and fifty million dollars? We focus so much on what the Red Sox offer actually was, and their offer was around was in the two hundred millions. That's what we know right now. Buster Olney of ESPN told us earlier this week he thinks Devers is fair to look for an offer of about three fifty.
0: When you see the trajectory of where he is. Uh, you know the fact that he's uh, now within 18 months of free agency, how successful he's been early in his career, uh, I, I think it's appropriate for him to you know be dreaming about a deal in the mid300 quite so, frankly.
1: So the Red Sox haven't offered that deal. They've offered significantly less than that. A lot of fans when they hear 350 they roll their eyes and they cringe that's ah, a lot of money. I don't want to pay that. What would it take? For Raphael Devers to actually be worth three hundred and fifty million dollars. For me, I don't think three fifty is really that unrealistic. Given Devers' age, Buster's point, his trajectory, given his durability, given his offensive profile, given the comparisons to others that have hit the market in recent years, I really don't think it's unrealistic. But if you are not sold yet, What can Rafael Devers do to convince you that he is worth that money? If you are high in bloom, if you are Red Sox ownership, what do you want to see Rafael Devers do to prove that he is worth that kind of commitment? For me, I'd give it to him, but for me, there are five things that I think Devers can do to solidify that he is worth that money. One, easy, 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 easy. He needs to simply continue on the same offensive trajectory that he's on right now. He needs to just keep doing what he's doing. Be a guy that can hit 40 home runs, that can smack 40 doubles, that can bring in 100 runs, and who can drive the middle of an order. And he needs to be that guy who you believe can drive the middle of an order. Because J.D. Martinez is not going to be here that much longer. Xander Bogarts might not be here. So some of that padding that Devers has had in the lineup, that is going to be gone. You need to believe that Devers can drive an offense and he needs to keep doing what he's been doing over the last year and now in change into this year. I believe that he can do it. It's another reason why I already believe he's worth that money. And offense now is something that you pay for in baseball offense has become so fleeting and has become so hard to come by and pitching has gotten so good consistent offense now is so valuable and if Devers can provide it then you need to pay for it here's Jeff Passan of ESPN on WEI yesterday
2: he is an elite elite hitter and man I love watching him hit whether it's Off the monster, whether it's yanking it down the line or whether it's having the power to go dead center at Fenway, uh, the guy does everything. And seeing something like that in his prime, uh, I I get why Red Sox fans want him to stick around long-term, because they should.
1: Keep doing what you're doing. That, to me, is the number one thing that Devers needs to do in order to justify that kind of price tag. Keep doing what you're doing offensively. Number two... If Raphael Devers is going to get that kind of money, he needs to prove that he can still play defense. He's got to keep improving defensively. Because I would be hesitant about paying $350 million to a guy that profiles as solely a DH sooner rather than later. It's one thing to put a guy at DH when they're 37. It's another thing to stick a guy at DH when they're 29. Rafael Devers needs to keep getting better defensively. He needs to keep being able to play a position for the long term. Third base, first base, it's got to be a position. Because I cannot pay that kind of coin for a guy who is going to transition to DH in the pretty immediate future. Passin said also about... The defense.
2: If he is a third baseman and an average third baseman, if he can get his glove to that point, then he's a $300 million player. If the glove doesn't improve and he needs to move over to first base, uh, there's never been a three million dollar first baseman, and the ones who have made large sums of money tend to have been really, really bad.
1: Look at the majority of guys who have gotten paid a lot of money. Mike Trout, center fielder. Corey Seager, shortstop. Francisco Lindor, shortstop. Mookie Betts, gold glover. They are gold glove caliber players or they are players at premium positions. Devers is not a gold glover. He does not play right now a premium defensive position. He's got to prove that he can stick, number one, in the field and number two, be good enough in the field to stay on the field and won't get shuttled off to dh soon i wouldn't pay a closer as much as i would play pay a starter i can't play i cannot pay a dh as much as i could pay a two-way player if devers wants to prove he's worth 350 million dollars he's got to be able to stick in the field that's the second thing that devers needs to do the third thing goes along kind of with numbers one and two he needs to prove that he can stay in shape and he needs to prove that when he came in out of shape in 2020 in the covid year that that was a mirage that was the outlier prove that you can stay in shape prove that you can stay motivated and if you do that then number one and number two will happen much much easier if devers stays in good shape then he will be able to remain the player he is offensively and he will be able to continue to improve defensively. He looks great physically right now. Keep that up, and the other things will come easy. If he goes backwards in that regard, and you start to worry he's going to balloon like Pablo Sandoval, then you would have real um, hesitancy about giving him big dollars. The number four thing that Devers needs to be able to do is do the thing he's been doing throughout his entire career. He needs to remain durable. If he wants $350 million, he cannot afford to be a player who shows injury concerns because the number one thing that can scare a front office away from paying somebody big money is health concerns. You cannot get injured, really, in the next two years if you're Rafael Devers. He's been durable throughout his career thus far. It's going to need to stay that way. Look at the Yankees right now with Aaron Judge. What is scaring them off? Age is part of it. Injury history is... Is another part of it. Why are you not look? Why, why are do players not want? why do front offices not want to give pitchers huge contracts? They're afraid of injury. Rafael Devers needs to stay healthy to justify a big price tag. And number five, Rafael Devers has to be a little more vocal. He's got to be a little more out there. He's got to be a little more available. He needs to show up a little more in the community. Because people who hand out $350 million checks, they are paying for you to not only be a great player, they are paying for you to be the face of a franchise. They are paying for you to be a great ambassador. That's a little less important to me. Like in football, the quarterback, yeah, he's the CEO. I don't quite expect that from my third baseman. But guys who hand out $350 million checks... They tend to think that way. Devers is quiet. Devers is not out that much. He did an interview the other day on Nesson after the game with his translator. That was good to see him. But we don't see Devers out that much. The people who write checks like that, they generally will probably want to see that change. They want to see you in commercials. They want to see you on the cover of video games. They want to see you showing up at community events. They're going to want to see you out. So... That to me is the five things that Rafael Devers would need to do. I I would give him the money already. Like I don't know, know, I think he's better than Corey Seager, and Corey Seager got three twenty five. I think he now with inflation is probably right in that Francisco Lindor three forty one category. So I'd give him big money, but if you are not sold yet, then I think the five things you need to see from him are continued growth or continued growth defensively, keep up what he's doing offensively, stay healthy, stay in shape and be just a little more vocal and a little more available. I'll close the book on the Devers conversation here in a second, but Buster Olney said something to us earlier this week that was actually very interesting to me.
0: You know, Bryce Harper got $330 million at age 26. Uh, you know, that's where Raffy's going to be when he's a free agent, 26, 27. That's absolutely where he is
1: as a player. So Bryce Harper gets $330 million. And I think it was generally accepted that Bryce Harper was going to get a ton of money. It was generally accepted that Bryce Harper was going to command huge dollars and that he was going to get more than $300 million. That was generally accepted. By, by fans and by the industry. Why is it generally accepted that Bryce Harper was going to get that kind of money, but not everybody is sold yet on giving Rafael Devers that kind of money, even though, as Buster says, he's in the same category of, of, of player? And it was a very interesting question. And I think, for me, the answer is here. We've been hearing about Bryce Harper... Since he was 16 years old. Like LeBron James, Bryce Harper was on sport, was in Sports Illustrated. Harper challenged the system and wanted to play college ball before he was in college. He was, so he had a little bit of controversy to him. He had a story around him already. He was the number one pick in the draft. So we had been following Bryce Harper's every move for years before he got to the majors. There was a hype around Bryce Harper that just wasn't there and hasn't been there with Devers. As good as Devers is, he didn't come with the hype and people so people always had it in their mind from 16 years old on that Harper was a star whereas Devers is just now kind of growing into being a star. There is a loudness with Bryce Harper. Again, star quality. I think of I think about this less than others. I really do, but owners of teams They see sports as entertainment. I see sports as competition, right? But owners of teams, they see it as entertainment. They think of it as an entertainment business. And with Bryce Harper, there's a loudness and there is an entertainment factor. So an owner looks at signing Harper and sees dollar signs that are going to go back into their pockets because Harper's going to fill seats. I don't think Devers has that kind of magnetism right now. And then finally why we accept paying Harper, but people will not accept paying Devers yet is that Harper was not very good, by the way, his la two of his last three years in Washington. He hit two forty three and two forty nine, two of his last three years with the Nationals, but he did have the resume that Devers doesn't have right now. Harper won Rookie of the Year. Devers didn't. He won MVP while he was in Washington. So there was a perception of him as proven where I think people are now just starting to realize how good Devers is. So that's why I think Harper kind of got the pass into getting $300 and Devers takes some convincing to people. He doesn't have to convince me. I would do it. But he's got to convince some of the fans, and he's got to convince the Red Sox front office. He does not have the star quality. He does not have the hype machine or the years of us following his every move like Bryce Harper had. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and com. As the Celtics get ready to take on the Brooklyn Nets, Game 1 is on Sunday. I'll tell you why I'm mildly concerned about the impact that Ben Simmons could have in this series. Mildly concerned. I'll tell you what scares me about Simmons potentially playing for the Nets. That's next on DEV.
0: This is former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson, and now we're back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and WDEVradio.com.
1: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. There you go. Thank you very much, Keyshawn. True story, we've actually had that Keyshawn voiceover in the hopper for like eight months. And I just finally put it together this week. We got a whole, we got a, we had a boatload of new returns for the show, as we call those things, returns. And I've had that Keyshawn one in the hopper for eight months and finally got it put together. So appreciate him doing that. Um, Got a text in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line about what we were just talking about. Great points on Bryce Harper and Raphael Devers, Brady. Um, Says, sorry, I text too much. We've had a couple texts from Peter. No, we like texts on the Brady Farkas show. So, all right. I got to admit, the Celtics don't appear to be concerned about Ben Simmons. I am mildly concerned about the impact that Ben Simmons could have in this upcoming playoff series. Now, Sham Sharania of The Athletic came out and said that Simmons is hoping to play between games four and six. I was worried he might be ready for game one. So game four and six, I don't know what the complexion of the series is going to look like. But I am mildly concerned about the impact that Simmons could have. I don't think that Ben Simmons is a great basketball player. I don't think that he's a max contract player. And I don't think he's a face of the franchise player. But that said... I think he could pop up in this series and have an impact. And that does worry me to a degree. He's a very good defensive player. He's very long. He comes out and he plays good defense. He's not really a threat to me at all offensively. But if he comes out and just is a tough new wrinkle for Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, he's got quickness. He's got length. He does have a desire to play defense. And with the Nets, he does not need to score. So he doesn't really have anything to save himself for offensively. So if he comes out, I think he can impact the game defensively. I don't know if he can play five minutes. I don't know if he can play 15 minutes. But he's a good defensive player. If he can create just a little bit of discomfort for the Celtics, that is something to take notice of. And offensively, he concerns me a little bit, not much. Again, he doesn't really score. He's not a guy who can shoot, but he is a good facilitator. If he's on the court for any period of time, maybe he can create something easier for Kevin Durant. He can get Kyrie Irving a, a blow that I you know that, that he needs when look, I'd like to see Kyrie have to play all forty eight minutes and be exhausted by the end. If Ben Simmons can come in and play four minutes and give Kyrie a little bit of a breather, then that would be a benefit to Brooklyn. So I'm, I'm worried about the impact just mildly. He hasn't played a game in 12 months. I'm not worried about him taking over in any way. But if he can take just a little bit off the plate of Kyrie when it comes to ball handling, if he can take a little bit off the plate of Kevin Durant having to create for himself and if he can play the defense that he's always played for even just a couple of minutes and cause a little bit of discomfort for the Celtics, then that would be a benefit for Brooklyn and therefore a detriment to Boston. So that is where my worry comes from in the form of Ben Simmons. We do get a text in late here on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Webster from Essex Junction. Come on, Brady. Even if Simmons plays and even if he is a good defender, the Nets still can't defend as a team. You know, that is interesting because I've actually been thinking about this. This whole this team can't play defense narrative doesn't always hold up to me once the playoffs come around. And there's multiple reasons why. One, in the regular season... Teams are disinterested in playing defense. You watch enough NBA games, that's very, very obvious. A lot of teams are disinterested in playing defense. In the playoffs, that's not the case. You will get a team's best effort defensively. Now, no one's going to confuse the Nets for the 96 Bulls defensively, but the, the Nets are going to be engaged. They're going to try in a way they didn't try in the regular season. So if you're expecting the Celtics to come out and put up 124 every game in this series, I don't think there's any way that it's going to happen. Two, in the regular season, bad numbers pile up and accumulate because teams sit guys, guys are hurt, there's guys that attributed to those numbers that are no longer there. Like Kyrie didn't play a bunch of games. So the defense, Kyrie wasn't a part of it. Durant was out for a bunch of games. He's not a part of it. James Harden was playing there for a bunch of games. So bad metrics were created at a time when the team wasn't at full strength and had different personnel. The Nets will be at relative full strength in this series. And finally, in the regular season, teams are uninterested in defense because they're saving themselves for something else a lot of the time. They're saving themselves for the next night of the back-to-back. For the third game in five days. In the playoffs, that's not the case. There's ample time off. There are no back to backs. There is nothing to save yourself for. Again, I don't expect the Nets to come out and hold the Celtics to 79 points every night. But this idea that the Celtics are going to put up 128 religiously, I don't think that's true either. The Nets will have something to play for. They haven't played. They haven't had anything to play for all season. And they're going to have their full complement of guys that they want to have. There's nothing to save yourself for. So I, the numbers that were accumulated over the last 82 games of the regular season, I just don't see them being that porous. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the Celtics win every game 124 to 118. But I just don't think that that's going to be the case. I think you will see games in this series at 101 to 95. You might see a game under 100. You might see 97-96. I don't think every game is going to be 128-126. to 126. So, um, All So, right, that's it for us. Look up at the clock. Time to go. Full show podcast available on the Apple Podcast app as well as Spotify, so you can check it out there. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show. Don't quite know what the deal is going to be tomorrow. Red Sox baseball, first pitch is 210. I figure we'll get on the air about 6 o'clock. Don't know though. Could be a short game. Could be a long game. We'll be on when we're on. We'll recap what you saw as the Sox home opener against the Minnesota Twins. Our coverage begins tomorrow at 110. First pitch is 210. Nick Pavetta is on the mound for Boston as they take on the Twins. Thanks to the Garrett Blunt for stopping by. We will see you tomorrow. At the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM.